Behind the Shades. My name is Harvey Laguerre, stay-at-home dad of four, like you mentioned, one son, 19-year-old, and three daughters, 17-year-old daughter, 13-year-old daughter, eight-year-old daughter. All that adds up to I am I'm exhausted. Let's just say that. I'm tired. These kids can run me ragged physically, emotionally, in every way. But when you become a parent, that's the, you know, that's what you expect. Um but I'm also a host of Men of the Prize, the podcast. It is a, a podcast for men, an open space for men to be open, vulnerable, and emotional. And I speak to a lot of fathers. And I take pride in being the one who takes care of my kids. I take pride in being the one that drives them to this event or lets them hang out with kids or have to make sure that they're not playing around on their phones and doing shenanigans. I, I take it very seriously that as a parent, I'm the one raising these children and sending them out into the world. Um, that's part of why I enjoy doing this podcast, because I speak to a lot of fathers. Um, you can find my podcast on my website, harveylaguerre.com. You can actually see my logo next to me. See the spelling there, just go to my and go to the website. You can either listen or watch. I've done about 70 or so episodes. And it's every week talking to a different man. And we delve into that man and his issues and his problems. And a lot of times fatherhood is part of it. So that's generally where you can find me. And you learn a lot about me through the conversations that I have with the man on my podcast. Perfect. So take us through the genesis of your journey into fatherhood. So was this something, Harvey, that you always wanted to do because you have four beautiful children? Or is this something that when you started becoming a father with child number one, you kind of had to learn as you're going along? I think the best way to it's a bit of a story. I've, I've, you know, I talk enough, so I won't have a problem getting into it. So I grew up in somewhat of a toxic household. My parents were together. They got divorced when I was 10. I had to go to court and I had to, I had to sit in that chair. I had to testify and pick a parent. So from that experience and aside, and I was those first 10 years because it was very violent, a very, it wasn't a, it wasn't a space where a child should grow up, but that's what happens sometimes. Coming out of that, I did not have a good view of marriage. I was in a house where marriage, these two people had no reason being together. They shouldn't have been together. And I lived it day to day and I heard it and I saw it and I experienced it. So pretty much from me leaving that court that day, living with my dad, I'm like, I'm not getting married. I'm not doing it. It's not working. I have other people in my family who were married and their relationships weren't that great. Why am I getting married? So I pretty much had that in my head. I'm like, I may have some kids. I may do that, but I'm not going to get, that's not going to be my, I grew up, went to college, failed out. I did my thing. It took me a while to kind of get myself set. And I dated and I kept myself at the point where I was not a statistic. I was not a baby daddy. I didn't have any kids running around. I wasn't messing around. I was safe. I enjoyed life, but I made sure that it wasn't going to affect anybody negatively. And I'm never going to get married. I don't know. Maybe I'll never have kids. I walked into work one day and I saw a woman sitting over at a desk and I'm like, that's my wife. Because we talk a big game about stuff until something changes. And I'm like, yep, that's her. So I went from like, it was like a Monday. I'm like, I'm not getting married. I said that at 730 at 815. 
I saw my life. It's that kind of stupidity. So from there, I went from not wanting to get married to I found my wife. And then we started dating eventually. It took a little while. She had two kids from a previous relationship. So the first two kids that I have are from previous relationship. My son, who's 19 now, and my daughter, who is 17 now. Then we got together and we have two kids of our own, but I have four children. So for me, parenting started as the eventually adult and the eventual father of two kids whose father was around. Not involved, but around. So he was there. So I got closer to mom, I got closer to them, and eventually got married, and then we're family. So that's where fatherhood started for me, kind of raising somebody else's kids. We got married pretty much within a year of us dating. I, for somebody who had been so safe previously, we got her pregnant and we got married. Quick, bang, bang, bang. Which we got together, we're like, let's just make this official. And we just got to business. So then she, so we got married a month later, my, um, my first biological daughter was born. So that, to me, there's somewhat of a line. There's sort of a space between being that stepdad versus being like the biological dad. Because for me, I want to be involved. So as soon as I found out my wife, my wife, Clarice was pregnant, I'm like, okay, I'm at every appointment. I'm there. I'm at every test. I'm like, listen, schedule these appointments so that it's on my day off so I can be there. It's like, cool. Every one of them. I'm there. I saw the baby being born. I was with her through every craving. I went to the movie theater because she loved movie theater popcorn while she was pregnant. So I'm the one going in the movie theater to get the popcorn. I'm getting her a Wendy's burger. She wanted one. I'm like, this is my child. And this is the woman taking care of my child. So for me, fatherhood encompassed everything. The kids, my wife. But then we had one more child. But by then, I'm dad to everybody. I'm the adult. I'm the adult male for everyone in this house. And that's what I, that's what I take it as. I'm raising them. Now, we were working for a while. And we got to the point where I went to work one day. And they were like, listen, Harvey, we don't need you to come back ever again. So they're like, listen. So I got fired. So I went home. So fatherhood was kind of thrust upon me. Stay at home dad was kind of thrust at me because it wasn't the plan. But once I didn't have a job and my wife was working and doing well, so I didn't have to immediately get a job, I stayed at home. And that was about five or six years ago. And this is what I do. This is my new full-time job. It's not new anymore, but it's my full-time job. It is raising these kids to be great members of society. I'm raising a son to be respectful to be a good part of this world. I'm raising three daughters to respect themselves, to know how to be respected. I'm sending my agents out. That's what my kids are. I know I'm doing a good job if my kids are met by other people and other people know that they're good because that means me and my wife have done something good. So that's pretty much my fatherhood story, but everything, obviously it's a day-to-day change because being a dad changes when the kids get older or when you change as a person. I think many men have been in that situation where they would swear on their mother and their father that they're like, you know what? I grew up in a household. I did not see any healthy marriages. I'll be damned if I get married. Right. And then they look to their right. They see that woman over there, stardust in their eyes. And they're like, you're the one for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> SWV, right? <laughs> they begin they begin to sing it because mm-hmm. when you're put in that situation, things change. I think as human beings, 
if we were to dig deep and trust our instincts, we know who's going to be a part of our life. And we know who's not going to be a part of our life, especially when we're looking to build that type of relationship. You saw this woman, you said, this is the woman for me. This is one that can turn around all these quote unquote negative impressions of serious relationships, of marriages. And here you are doing something that a lot of men would say that, I don't know if I want to take on other children, but you made it work and you made it a part of the family where it's like, it's the six of us in this together versus it's two over there, it's two over here and it's two over there. It's a unit. When you decided to marry the woman you're married to now, and then you had two additional children, now there's six of you. Did you ever look back and think, man, Harvey, you're actually married with children, despite you thinking all those years ago, this is something that you would never do? Um, I pretty much once I was engaged, once I was with this woman, I really started looking back. That was a pretty quick thing for me because I was very much in the mindset of not marrying anybody. So when I even told people, oh, by the way, I'm getting married, the shock and the awe from these people, like, you what? Like, so I was getting that. And then I'm like, you know what? I understand it. I was vehement. Like, it's not happening. I'm not married. I'm not doing it. And people who know me understood why. So by telling people and then seeing the response, then it just made me think like, it was like, these people don't even know what to do with themselves when I say that, when I told them. And I really thought, I really had to look back and say, yeah, I didn't expect that. But it, it, not only did I have to look back, I, I had to really decide that I wasn't going to do what I was raised around. And seeing that, I'm like, I'm, if I'm doing this, something that I didn't expect to do, I'm going to have to do it right. I have to be the parent that I didn't have because I didn't have the best father. Um, he wasn't a great husband either. I'm getting all these things that I didn't see I'm going to be. So once I got past the surprise of doing this, then I have to do it right. I'm not going to waste all this talk and just be duplicitous. I'm never getting married. Oh, by the way, I'm getting married and then mess it up. I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to be a good father. I'm going to be all the things that I didn't see so that my children will can grow up. And if they decide that they don't want to get married, it's not because of circumstance. It's because it's an actual decision on their part. I'm going to make sure that, you know, that I have good people. And for me, even though I was in a bad situation, I still feel like I came out of it as a good person nonetheless. But I want to make sure that my kids can come out of a happy home, of a loving home, especially my daughters. I've got a son, he's 19, but I have three daughters. It's seriously and incredibly important that I send these beautiful Black girls out into the world, confident, knowing that they're loved, knowing that they're valued, knowing that they're special. I have to make sure, and I obviously at that point, I already had one. Then I impregnated her. Carice is my wife's name, by the way. So we got her pregnant, two, three. I'm like, these kids have to go into the world pretty well-developed. And we, we all have trauma. We all have things that we deal with. But I'm going to do the best I can to be a good person. And then I'll pass that down to them and then send them into the world and go from there. But once I'm like, once everything flipped for me, I had to take a look at it, realize that I was talking a lot of big game 
and got past that and realized, yeah, now what? What kind of standard do you think, or I shouldn't say standard, what kind of pressure maybe that you're putting on yourself to be that example of a man, especially as a black man, right? To your daughters, because you have three and for them, depending on how young they were, when the other, when two of them were um, kind of taken on by you, mm-hmm. you, you are setting the standard of the type of man that they can look to because you're the first man that they're seeing in that capacity that is showing um, affection, that's showing that they want to care. So what kind, of, what kind of standard do you think that you're putting on yourself to be that type of man for your daughters? I don't see it as pressure. I see it more as taking on a responsibility. It's, I don't know, when we're men, we obviously are raised to do, to provide, to take care, to do whatever. And to a degree, I take that on. So it's not a pressure thing for me. It's what I'm supposed to do. As that father figure, I'm supposed to be the man that they can trust. I'm supposed to be the one who messes with them a little bit, who, you know, with my son, I can jab him, like how boys, how we deal with each other. I can be the kind of emotional one with my girls and they can hug me and jump on me and we can talk and be playful and all that. I make it, I do my very best and I'm not perfect, none of us are, but I make, I do my best to just be a good man in general. I feel like it's what I would be without kids, but I want to do that for them. So I'm trying to be the best me in front of my kids. So especially for my girls, I want them to recognize how they should be taken care of and also how they should take care of whomever they be with, who are they going to be with. If they're going to be with men, they're going to be with husbands. This is how you take care of men. This is how you respond to men. This is how you open up to men and how you allow them to open up to you. I do this. A lot of what I do is with them but also really important with the relationship with mom. We aren't the perfect couple, but what we are are two people who love each other. And we've been married going on 14 years. And we've stuck it out. We've been together. Our kids learn so much from us. My son learns how to to respond to women. I open the door for my wife and his sisters. He learns that from me. His sisters learn how to talk to him, how to talk to me, how to be respectful, him, same for him. One, I think one of the biggest things is that my kids see two people who love each other, who occasionally have conflict. We argue, we disagree, but what's good, what's important for my daughters to see is that that conflict never resorts or becomes violent. It's two adults talking. It's a man and a woman talking. We may disagree. The voice might even go up a little bit, but that's as far as it goes. You can have conflict. You can argue. There is a way to argue. There's a way to disagree with somebody. I take pride in the fact that my children understand how to deal with conflict, and they should, and especially when it's especially our girls. They should understand. I don't want them going out there thinking that every guy is going to be is going to beat them or it's going to be a domestic abuse thing. Maybe I just disagree. And they see that with their father. They see that with their mother. All of these things that I'm not really trying to do, 
but I just happened to do are things that they're going to remember. They're sponges. They soak up these things. They remember these moments. So it's not pressure. It's a responsibility that I take very seriously. I pride myself on sending out these four kids and they're going to go into the world and they're going to be well-balanced. They're going to be, they're going to know they're loved. So they're going to, they're going to expect love from whomever they're going to be with. And they know what, how to take it, what to do with it and raise kids their own way. So I just do my best to be here, to be present. And then I leave the rest of them. I will say that for me, I work with at-risk women, and these are women who were, um, let's say, abused in some type of way, or they're near their poverty line. And many of them who are at risk, they're older, so they're about 35 and older, right? So many of them have been in long-term relationships, they have been divorced, they may be married, and, they, and many of them have children. And one thing that I pride myself on, especially those who have been mistreated in some way, especially from like an ex, like an ex-husband or ex-boyfriend, is that I can be a representation of everything good in a man. And I take a lot of pride in that because it's like you said, right, Harvey, where it's like not all men are bad. Here's terrain. That's an example of a man that can treat you well, granted in a different way but still represent the goodness of men. When you mentioned that you want to make sure that your children are out in the world and they see the conflict resolution between you and your wife, they see that you're able to argue, but argue in a healthy way where there's a disagreement and you're like, okay, we're having a disagreement. What can we do to resolve it? And they're seeing all these beautiful, adult, mature interactions. How important is it, Harvey, for you to see, for your children to see a healthy couple like the two of you go about their day to day? Sometimes there's a little bit, sometimes there's arguments, but as you mentioned, it gets resolved and the relationship continues to be strong and good. It's incredibly important because. I think one reason I, I think I really started my podcast because I wasn't a fan of how men, Black men in particular, are perceived, how we're seen in the world. We're dangerous, argumentative, deadbeats, drug dealers, sluts, all these terrible things that we men are. And, and we are in an age where our children are just surrounded by media and social, me social media and all this stuff. And it's easy to watch, spend a half hour on TikTok and all men are bad. All men will cheat. Men aren't good fathers, all this stuff. It's important for my kids to see a positive view of a man. I have three daughters. And if my daughters end up in relationships with men, they should go into the world expecting that the men that they may be in contact with are good. I don't want them going out there assuming that men are bad. I don't want them going out there assuming men are dangerous. I'm not saying that there aren't some that are. But I want them to go out there with an optimistic view, a positive view of the potential men that they deal with. So it's important that it starts here. It's important that they see the humanity in men. So I mess up. We all mess up. The difference is how do I handle messing up? It's fine to make mistakes. We're not perfect. How do I, how do I deal with making that mistake? I mess up. Maybe I yelled at somebody who didn't need it. And once I realized I was wrong, 
it is important that I let them know. You didn't do this. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I apologize. They need to know that their father is, can make mistakes. He's humane. And as long as they see that the person that they look up to is fallible, it's okay for them to be fallible. It's okay for them to make mistakes. And as long as they apologize, acknowledge and learn from it, it's okay. It is imperative that they see a good man in every way. And a good man doesn't mean a perfect man. A good man means a man who makes mistakes, but is able to deal with them in a positive way. So that's really important for my daughters. It's important for my son too, my 19 year old son out there, good looking boy. It's going to be dealing with, you know, it's going to be talking with girls and doing whatever. How do you deal with women? How do you speak to girls? How do you? You teach them respect. Talk about consent with them. All these things. It's a, it's a different conversation with the son, especially a 19-year-old boy. Once I get past the fact that he's a man, he's a Black man, and he's 19 walking around, which is a whole first conversation, then relationships. That's the next thing. I want you to be able to get back and forth, get home. If you get stopped, this is what you do. If you're in a situation, this is what you do. Hopefully we get past that part. We get past your safety. Then we get into your interpersonal relationships. How do you deal with women? How do you deal with somebody you might potentially date or some woman you don't date? And a good way to look at it is like, you see how I treat your mom? That's how you treat every woman you meet out there. You see how I treat your sisters? That's how you treat every woman you meet out there and you see how I kind of work on them on how they treat me and you, that's what you should expect also. So all of it, everything is just an amalgamation of action, of continuous movement so that they can see what the good in men and they see it because we're here and we're good. And as long as you see that and recognize it, you know, everything usually is going to be okay. What are some of the ways you believe that young men, black men specifically, can, what are some of the ways that young black men, what are some of the things, sorry, that young black men can do to kind of change that ethnic image that so many people have of us in regards to not being around and being present, but not being involved. And also, as you mentioned, we're viewed in different types of way that many times unnecessary accurate. So what do you believe that there are some things that we can do to help change that? So first we're doing it because we're here. We're present. That's the first thing. So that's the first step. We can get past the narrative if we can literally say the narrative is garbage. I'm here. I'm a father. I am here. My brother is a father. He's here. My uncle, my cousins, grandfather, we're here. That's the first step. The next step a lot of it has to do with us internally. I'm a big proponent of mental health, especially in men, especially in Black men. We need to be vocal. We need to talk. The podcast that I do, the sole purpose of it is to get men talking. I love to hear what's going on in their lives. I love the stories. I love the experiences. But honestly, what they're talking about is secondary to the fact that they are talking. What we can do to improve, to get rid of the narrative is to be mentally sound. And when we are confident, when we know that we're here, when we know that we're good, when we know that we're good fathers, that we're good husbands, that we're good best friends, that we're good employees, that we're good bosses, that we're good whatever, 
when we know that, the narrative is irrelevant to us. Because I know I'm good. Those people are just talking. I'm here being what you said I'm not. I'm not worried about you. The narrative is irrelevant because my children are here and they know dad's coming home or dad is home. Like my in my case, I'm here. The narrative is, is irrelevant because reality is what we need to focus on. And the reality is we're here all the time. So as black men, we need to you know, grow up, know what we want to do, know what our purpose is. And if it's to be a husband, to be a father, then go get it and do it and do it the right way. If we don't want to be a father, if we don't want to be a husband, that's fine. Be whatever we want to be, do it properly and do it with respect for everybody else. Take care of yourself first. There's one thing I would say to Black men is we all have a list of people who we're supposed to take care of. We're raised to take care of potentially our wives, our children, family members, parents getting old. So we usually have this list of people that we're supposed to take care of, but we're never on our own lists. We're never at the top. I, you have to be, you have to be the first person. I take care of my wife to make sure she's got, you know, the car, the oil change has been done, the, to make sure my kids have the gaming system they want or the best phone or the best internet, whatever. But what about me? I have to take care of me before I can take care of everybody else. I always use this analogy. I got to pull my mask down first before I can help everybody else. So my best advice for men, and I coach men, and I talk to men, how are you? What are you doing for you? How are you taking care of yourself? Because we're better for everybody else when we are better for ourselves. When I feel good, when I can, when I can acknowledge that sometimes I have, that I have anxiety, when I'm struggling, when I'm depressed, when I have all these things and I can deal with them, when I can handle all these emotions, all this that's being thrown at me and I can handle it like a man, then I can handle being married or being a father so much better. So that's the first thing I tell every man, take care of you first, put yourself on the top of your list. I'll agree with that because I believe men need to understand that it's okay, one, to go through what you're going through. There's no shame in the pain that you're experiencing. There's no shame in mental health. And the second thing, which I think is big, because unfortunately there isn't a lot of resources or a lot of spaces for men to do this is to communicate, ask for the help, say you're in need of help and express your emotions. You don't have to be the tough guy all the time. You don't have to be the alpha male in every room. It's okay to have a space where you're like Superman. We just go, we just fly to your cave and you just say, Hey, I need an off day today because I'm just feeling off. And when you highlighted the mental health, I'm glad that you brought that up because for those who are wondering, suicide rates are the highest amongst men. Yes, sir. Um, anxiety, depression, same thing. Yes. Homelessness, same thing. So there's a lot of issues that men experience that don't necessarily get the spotlight because men are suffering in silence. Very much so. Have you seen, have you experienced any men who are going through something alone? They look like they're crying out, but they just don't have the words to say, Harvey, I need a moment. Can I speak to you about something? A lot, a lot. That's 
that's all a lot of what I do, a lot of what I kind of deal with. We a lot of us aren't raised or taught how to express our emotions. We don't know. Am I allowed to cry about a situation? Who do I talk to when I'm not feeling good? What how do I handle my first heartbreak? That girl that I wanted in high school who had nothing to do with me. And maybe I didn't have a dad to go home and say, you know what, I really like this girl, but she wasn't failing me. So now I have low self-esteem. I don't feel good about myself. Maybe nobody's going to love me. Maybe this is what I'm going to be for the rest of my life. So it's all, so it sits there. And then maybe I wanted to make the football team, but I wasn't really good. I didn't make it. So now I'm not even good enough to do that. And maybe I'm never going to be good at anything. And maybe I'm just going to be the nerd on the side that nobody talks to. And it just sits there. We have all these issues, all these things, and it starts from a young age. We immediately were telling our boys, don't cry, rub some dirt on it, keep it moving, be stoic. We don't teach, we should be telling our boys just like we teach our girls. What's wrong? How do you deal with it? It is okay for you to cry, but it's chill. We take emotion away from these boys which is the single worst thing because then they grow up and they don't know what to do with things. We're only allowed to be angry. We're not allowed to be sad. I'm not allowed to be anxious. I'm, what all that leads to is when I have nobody to talk to and no idea how to deal with my emotions, I just become depressed. And then like I was when I was 18 and I failed out of college and I was in a house where nobody had any respect for me, everybody thought I was a mess is you try to kill yourself. And I did. I'm one of that statistic you're talking about. I tried to kill myself because I had no self-esteem. I had nothing left. And when you have nobody to talk to, nobody to let, I have all this weight on my shoulders and nobody's there to help me take it off. I'm just carrying it around. And there's millions of men, millions of boys with that same problem. Communication is key. And we talk and as we're speaking, we're recording, this is June is Men's Mental Health Month. This is an important time, and I've been dropping videos every day talking about vulnerability for men. It is imperative that we understand that being stoic is not manly. Being vulnerable is. It's easy to just stand up there hard and nothing bothers me. It takes a real man to be like, I'm struggling. It takes a real man to say, I don't feel good. I don't feel like I'm worth anything. I need to talk to somebody because that's hard. It's easy to just get down in the dumps. It is hard to admit that I need somebody to listen to me. I need a friend. I need somebody in my circle to check on me, to be there for me. Our mental health is so underrepresented. So many things that you're saying. This month is all about all these things. A lot of things that we don't talk about. Men are the victims of violent crimes more than women. We are under attack. And sadly, you know, we are the perpetrator and the victim. We need to recognize that we need to take care of ourselves, that we need to listen to our friend, even the strong ones, especially the happy ones who look like they're doing great, who you could tell they got the world, they got the world in their hands. Those are the ones who hide this the best. And those are the ones who need that longer call. I say, you know, call in and check on your boy, but don't make it that too many calls. Spend 10 minutes on that call. You sure you're good? What's going on? You dig in and a man will open up. He just needs to know that he's safe, that he's in a space where the person he's talking to is really there to listen to him. 
and he can trust that space and that person. So communication, like you said, is so incredibly important. I think one of the probably behaviors, or maybe one of the characteristics that is holding us back is we view men as less nurturing than women, right? Whereas men, if you, if you have a group of men, they may say something is bothering them, but they may not be, quote unquote, as serious about it, right? But I think every, every son has cried to their mother. But how many sons have cried to their father? So true. Um, so what are maybe some of the ways that you believe women can assist men who are in need open up about these issues because sometimes it's a little bit easier to open up to women than it is to men. Um, I think the I think the moms or the women in general can help by listening. That's a good start. I think we have a lot of men. If we talk, and there's different relationships that we're talking about. So if we're talking about just being in a romantic relationship, there's a lot of men who don't feel comfortable talking about what's going on to their woman because they don't feel like the person is listening. They feel like that person is hearing them and saving the ammo for a later date. And we that's that's a big problem. I need to feel safe with who I'm talking to and what I'm telling you. It can't be thrown in my face later. Men, a lot of times, if you're a woman and you're in a relationship with a man, you really get one good shot at vulnerability with a man. A man will open up once with you and give you something. If a month later and you guys are arguing and you throw it back at him, you pretty much have lost that. Because what I said can't be thrown back at me. Then that means that place wasn't safe. It was dangerous. So listening to what we have to say, understanding that when I talk about what's going on for me, it's not about you. It's about me. And, uh, it, and it's hard for all of us to kind of listen to something and recognize that it's somebody else's situation. I think a lot of times we try to relate and we try to say, oh, you know, I understand this is what happened to me. No, 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 no. That's not what you need to do. What you need to do is listen. I've always thought that a lot of the issues we men have, like 99% of the issues that we have can literally be resolved by somebody shutting up and listening to what that person has to say. A lot of times we have these struggles and these issues. And if somebody just sat there and listened, like a therapist, a lot of times talking it out, we can kind of get ourselves in a better place. We can kind of figure out our issues. But if we can't express it, we're stuck with it. So listening is the first thing. If we're talking about maybe a mother, it's going to be a... Obviously, we're born and we're with our mother, whether we breastfeed or skin to skin, that connection, that's there. And that's that can't that's evergreen. That's not going to go anywhere. But when opportunities arise for a dad to step in and give that hug or to listen to his son or daughter cry, include dad, get him involved, make it normal, normalize those situations and dad's there. The best thing to do is, and it's, and I, and I'm not a mother, but I would imagine it's an automatic thing to see your child emotional and want to help and want to listen, but understand that you're not the only parent, that you've got another parent with you. And there's nothing better than two emotionally available parents. So especially for our boys, especially for them. So situations come up, son's not feeling good, bring dad in. Let dad sit there and listen. Let dad be the one to give the hug. Let dad be the one to cuddle with him or her. 
let dad be there so that when these situations arise, it's okay to talk to either one as opposed to immediately going to mom. Sometimes it's, it's, sometimes it's just access. I need access to my children's emotions. And sometimes kids will just give it to mom because that they don't know any better. But dad can be there too. Dad can be the one hug. And I can sit here, I have a 19 year old son who is bigger than me and loves hugs. It's still a process. It's still work in progress for me. I can hug my girls with ease. It's just what we do. But my son, if he hugs me, if I didn't let him, he would sit here all day and take the hug. He loves that. But it still feels a little different because it's not something that we're supposed to do. So it's practice. It's continuously being present and being with your kids. So I think just having access to the kids and their emotions and these situations is probably one of the best ways that women can help men be more emotionally available to anybody, especially their children. Harvey, as we close today, what's some advice you'd want to give to the next generation of young boys who are around the same age as your son or maybe a little bit younger who are trying to figure it out and are experiencing difficulties because of the things that we're talking about, lack of resources, lack of communication, and the lack of just being involved. What's something you want to give to them who are coming up trying to figure it out in ways that maybe you and I ha or have already? I think the first bit I would advice I would give is we grow up and a lot of times we make friends. And we've kind of gotten away from that. We're in this age of the lonely man. There's a whole lot of men who are lonely, who don't have, who don't have, you know, a partner, but also don't have friends. I think we've gotten away from tribes that men, we used to be friends, groups of us kind of running around in this world, being able to talk and whatever. We need to get back to that. You need to have friends, people that maybe you grew up with or that you know, whether it's cousins, I'm Haitian, huge black family. I got cousins who are basically brothers and such to me. We need to stay connected that way. Stay connected to the people of your age, your same thought process, the same interests. Do that. Keep close with these people around you. It makes it easy to grow up because we, when we're alone, the issues that we have, we tend to think that we're the only ones dealing with them. And that's not the case. A lot of the struggles that we boys, we men are going through, there's a man next door across the street of a different race, different color, who is going through the same issues that you are. And he probably thinks he's by himself too. So it's important that we make connections. And when we do that, we recognize that we are in this world, but we're not by ourselves. And it makes it easier to deal with these things because I'm not, I'm not an island in this struggle. It's me and everybody else. We're all trying to figure it out together. So I can talk to this kid and say, oh, you know what? I'm 15, 16 year old black kid. I don't know, I'm 48. When I grew up, being a black nerd wasn't a cool thing. Being a Black kid as a nerd now who loves video games, who's super smart, who does all that, being a blur, there's a word for it. You can be a blur. There's a difference. And back in my time, if I was that kid, I wouldn't feel like I had anybody else who understood the situation. So I really felt like I was alone. But to my boys, you're not alone. And every emotion that you are feeling is a valid one. There's nothing wrong with feeling sad one day. We're being really happy. We're being disappointed. We're feeling unloved. 
we life is just this roller coaster. We go up and down and up and down. The the best thing to do is to just make sure you don't get too low and don't get too high. Just keep an eye on your emotions. If you look on the screen here on my on one of my other shoulders, I have something called an emotional scale. What I do here is once a week, I post this on my LinkedIn or Facebook, whatever, and I ask people to check and where they sit themselves on the scale. One is worse, four is the best. Where are you this week? Four being the best. Are you really happy today? How's this week been treating you? Are you making are you making the deals that you want? Are you writing the book that you said you wanted to? Are you going to ask out that girl that you've been waiting for? Are you? How do you feel about yourself? And it's okay to be at a four and it's okay to be at a one. Understand it. It's okay to not be happy, but it's not okay to not know how to deal with it. I can be at a one and kind of feel low, but I can't let myself get worse than that. And if I feel I'm getting that way, then I know I find somebody to talk to, somebody, a therapist or somebody to deal with. It's important to take care of ourselves first. So always keep an eye on your mental health, on where you stand, where, how do you feel? How do you feel in your environment, the people around you, everything? That's the most important thing I can say to these boys growing up. Take care of yourself first. When you are in a good place, you attract other people who are in a good place. And those are your friends, your colleagues, your partners. All of that, it leads to a better life. But take care of yourself first and foremost, and then everything else will work out. I'm gonna go get some more.